Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, June 5th. It's going to be a two-mini break Monday for all of you Cracked Rackets listeners. As I am well aware, we got to play catch-up to get everyone up to speed on everything that's unfolded thus far at the 2023 French Open. The quarterfinals, they're now set in both the men's and women's singles draws. And what I want all of you Crack Rackets listeners to feel after listening to today's two shows is prepared for all of the exciting, impending action to unfold. That's why what we're going to be doing on each of today's podcasts is previewing all of our quarterfinal singles battles. I want to talk about how each of the 16 remaining singles contestants got to this quarterfinal round. I want to break down each of the matchups, talk about what a winning scenario looks like for every player still remaining in the singles draw. And then, of course, as I'm not on the broadcast for any of these matches, I can get back to what I love doing most, offer predictions for how I see all of these matches unfolding. Of course, we'll get into the statistics. We'll get into the tactical advantages each of these players possess as well. I was hoping to have guests on each of these podcasts, and I did have guests booked for what it's worth. Unfortunately, one of our guests had a scheduling conflict. Therefore, today's men's singles quarterfinal preview podcast will be just me, Han Solo. I am so thrilled to have David Gertler joining me to preview all the women's quarterfinal action. So that's the agenda for all of you Cracked Rackets fans here on Monday. Certainly, I am excited to offer takes on everything that's unfolded over the past couple of days. It was a weird first week in terms of the tone that was set. So many upsets on the women's side. And then, of course, you had the biggest upset of them all, Daniil Medvedev getting knocked out on the men's side. All of that said, or after all of that action, that said, I look at these quarterfinal matches in both the men's and women's draws. I really like what I see. And the focus of this episode, of course, will be the men's singles quarterfinals. And just starting right there, superficially, Alcaraz versus Tsitsipas, two players that held seed. Djokovic versus Hachinov. Yes, Hachinov's, what, the 11 seed at this year's event, but this is the only guy on the ATP Tour who has now made the quarterfinals or further at three consecutive majors. And obviously, I'll get into his record of why he's deserving of this place here in this year's quarterfinals, his continued consistency at the French Open in particular Feels kind of like two guys who held seed in the top half of that draw. And so, again, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, Djokovic, Hachinov, if that's your top half and neither of those are the best quarterfinal matches that we have on the day, speaks to how exciting this quarterfinal round is because, of course, coming off of Monday's French Open action, how about the bottom half of the draw? Holgaruna versus Kasparud, top five sneaky best rivalry on the ATP Tour and Look, Holger Runa has faced Casper Rude more than he has faced any other opponent thus far through his young ATP Tour career. Yes, Runa didn't look great always in his five-set win over Sarundalo today in the round of 16. But look at the body of work from Holger Runa, not just this season, but over the past two years on clay, what he's accomplished at such a young age, what you so clearly see with the eye test He's going to give defending French Open finalist Casper Ruud a serious run for his money. Of course, Ruud's played 
probably, not probably, Rude has played his best tennis of the 2023 season at this French Open. And again, he's the defending finalist. He's the guy who's 4-1, albeit losing the last match in Rome, but 4-1 in the career head-to-head. God, is that matchup spicy. And then, honest to God, I know this is a weird thing to say. I'll give you a hot take, some spice here early in the show. Alex Zverev versus Tomas Martin Echeverry is the match where I actually see the broadest amount of possible outcomes. And part of that on the plus side is due to how well at times both of these guys have played throughout the course of this event. And for Tomas Martin Echeverry, not at times. He's played well from start to finish. I got a little rocky in his first set against Yoshihito Nishioka today, but that had everything to do with Nishioka and nothing to do with Echeverry's level dropping. And yet, man, just... The baseline level Echeverry brings point in, point out. I've said it before on this show. I'll say it again. I see a lot of similarities between how he, Rude, go about positioning themselves on these clay courts, how they go about attacking opponents, albeit in slightly different fashions and slightly different effect of their weapons. But two guys who do a lot of similar things were just tough outs on this surface. But look, we know what Alex Vera was capable of. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I thought Zverev, I'm not saying he was going to win it, but Zverev was playing well enough or physically enough in last year's French Open semifinal against Rafa where I had a legitimate thought of, oh my God, he might be playing well enough to win this match. It's going to be fascinating to see what Rafa has to summon to get through now. Obviously, that match was stopped due to Zverev's injury, and he's been on the comeback tour ever since. Played his best set of tennis in a year. In knocking off Grigor Dimitrov in straight sets, that 6-1 first set Zverev played, it was one of those times when the forehand line work it was working, so everything was working. Now, from there, it was classic Alex Zverev, a little rocky mentally, double faults, loose forehand errors mixed in. That said, the highest compliment you can give Alex Zverev is you're back to the same question with Zverev, is does he have the gumption? Does he have the chops, the aggression within him uh, on the court to get through the biggest moment of a match and get through, again, a match where he is the front runner against a guy in Echeverry who's played really well, but from an experience level, the delta is so great. There's no doubt Zverev enters this quarterfinal as the favorite. Again, that's your brief synopsis of all four of our men's quarterfinals on today's show. I want to talk about how each of these guys got here. I want to talk about uh, how I see tactically each of these guys, how I think, excuse me, tactically each of these guys will go about attacking one another throughout the course of the match. We'll get into the stats, of course, as well. We'll get into it all here on today's show. I want you all to feel prepared for what I anticipate will, again, be a very exciting home stretch to this 2023 French Open, of course. Before I get into all the nitty-gritty details, got to give a shout-out, as always, to all of you listeners. I appreciate your patience. I won't lie. Not only was I home last week recovering in the post-NTAA, from the post-NTAA grind, excuse me, I was also a little under the weather. I was battling, I don't know, maybe fatigue, maybe it was a cold, maybe it was all sorts of things. I was not where I needed to be to provide the sort of coverage you all deserve That said, I'm joking here early. It's compensation week here at Crack Rackets. I promise our second week coverage of this 2023 French Open, you're all going to feel up to date 
on everything as it unfolds. You're all going to feel like every match was properly previewed. We got you covered. That's my promise down the home stretch. So shout out to all of you for continuing to tune in. A shout out, of course, as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. Let's talk 2023 French Open men's singles quarterfinals. Now, I do want to point out, if you're looking for a further expansion of my thoughts or you're looking for someone to counter some of my takes, I was fortunate enough to go on my dear friend Gil Gross's show, Monday Match Analysis, which you can listen to, I believe, in podcast form wherever, or go find on his Gil Gross YouTube channel. So some of these thoughts may be repeated for some of you who do listen to that or heard that prior to this. I'm not sure which one's going to come out first. Nevertheless, again, how'd they get here? What does a victory look like for each of these players? Who am I predicting to ultimately advance? Those are the questions, big picture, 30,000-foot view, I hope to answer in today's preview. Let's just go top to bottom of the draw. Let's start with Carlos Alcaraz versus Stefano Tsitsipas. You know the running bit here on this show. The GOAT debate is boring. Let's talk about the players who have yet to be eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion. And I don't know how you can look at what Carlos Alcaraz has done throughout the course of his career thus far and eliminate him from the GOAT discussion just yet. Just some superficial stats here to start the 2023 season. First of all, 34-3. and He's 34-3 and overall to start the year. Who are the three losses? Sinner in three sets, Marazan in straight sets, that Rome Masters loss, which someday you think there might be a 30 for 30 about. And then, of course, the three-set loss to Cam Norrie, second week of his South American clay court grind earlier in the season to kick off his year in Rio. 34-3, and three, 92% win percentage. He's one of four players who ranks top 15 in both hold and break percentage. He's 91 and 16 since the start of last year. 91 and 16. This guy turned 20 a month ago. 91 and 16. 85% win percentage for 17 months now. I've said it before. I said I'll say it again. Second best teenager since Raf, uh, other than Rafael Nadal, I've ever seen on the men's side. And look, he's made it all look routine. Here at this French Open, straight set wins over Kaboli, Shapovalov, Musetti in the round of 16. Of course, he was pushed to four in the second round by Taro Daniel, but Musetti just had no answers for Carlos Alcaraz, as well as Musetti moves, as well as he typically uses his variety, as well as he plays from the outer thirds of the court, and as good as he is on the run and turning defense into offense and improvising and making you uncomfortable. He was just constantly on the run and constantly forced to improvise and constantly under pressure, particularly on the forehand wing from Alcaraz. And that forehand to forehand, just Alcaraz overwhelmed him. It was as simple as that. And Musetti was not able to generate enough depth with his backhand return to pressure Carlos Alcaraz at all. And any slice you hit to Carlos Alcaraz, it's the kiss of death right now. I've said it before. I've said it again. That's a phrase I've used, I think, three times now, which is indicative of A, how long we've been doing this show, but B, how frequently I repeat myself. There is nothing more dangerous right now than Carlos Alcaraz on the ad side of the court when he uh, with time. Because if he has time on that ad side of the court, A, he's running around the, hit, the ball to hit a forehand. B, he can take that forehand inside out. He can take that forehand inside in. He's going to hit it with such pace, such depth, 
that at best you're getting that ball back service line or shorter, and now he's got a short ball to attack with. And again, for a guy his age to volley as well as he does, how complete he is as an attacking player, it's remarkable. Of course, if that's not enough to paralyze you, that he can go inside out, inside in, he could mix in the drop shot cross court. He can mix in the drop shot down the line. Simply put, if Alcaraz has time to sit on a forehand on the ad side of the court, you're just f***ed. And Lorenzo Musetti learned that lesson very quickly in their round of 16 battle. And again, Alcaraz 91-16 and 16 overall since the start of last year. You want to go clay court specific. He's 51-6. and 51-6 and six overall. His six losses, Korda, Zverev, Musetti, Sinner, Nori, and Marazan. Shout out to Fabio Marazan. What a list for him to be on. But I mean, look, for Carlos Alcaraz, each of the matches he's played, you know, he hasn't been pushed past, if at all, the three-hour mark much, and he's taken the day off to make sure physically he's still primed. He and his team just have him in such a good routine, such a good place mentally. The other thing is who he's facing on the other side of the net. Yes, it's the fifth-seeded Stefano Tsitsipas, but it's a guy who Alcaraz is 4-0 against in his career, a guy who Alcaraz has already beaten at a slam, who he's beaten earlier this year in the Barcelona final, 3-4, and four, a match that, yes, sounds close on the scoreboard, but was never per- was never really in doubt, just structurally for Carlos Alcaraz, and I'll get to the Tsitsipas side of the equation in, the, in a moment, but for Alcaraz, just structurally, the things he does are so difficult for Stefano Tsitsipas to counter. So what does a Carlos Alcaraz win look like? I can be brief with this, right? Because I think we all know. It's him playing his best tennis. The kick serve wide. If Tsitsipas wants to take five, six, seven steps behind the baseline to give himself a little bit more time to swing freely through that backhand return, which he has done so well throughout the course of this year, and his backhand return has progressed. But the problem is, the reason it's progressed is because he gives himself more time by stepping behind the baseline. Well, you can't do that against Carlos Alcaraz because A, he'll just serve and volley and put that return away immediately, or B, now he has time to run around that ball, has a first forehand no matter where that return is hit, And now he's dictating once again. The other thing is just structurally, and I said this on Gil's show, this matchup reminds me a lot of the Nadal-Federer matchup. No, Nadal's uh, Alcaraz isn't a lefty the way Nadal is, but the way Rafael Nadal consistently broke down Federer on clay with heavy topspin into the one-handed backhand and by running around and punishing any slice Rafa offered to, uh, Federer offered to Rafa, that's exactly what Carlos Alcaraz will be able to execute against Stefano Tsitsipas. And again, Alcaraz is serving well enough. He's moving well enough. He seems healthy enough. And he's won at a major before. So you don't, you know, again, we've seen him win Masters. We've seen him win big events, big matches against top 10 opponents. You look for Carlos Alcaraz here in this 2023 season. Not only is he second overall in wins, but you look for him against top 10. Uh, 20 opponents particularly. He's second to Daniil Medvedev with 10 top 20 wins against top 10 opponents. Carlos Alcaraz 4-0 here this season. His game, win in form, works against anyone. And again, his strengths, heavy topspin, inside out forehands, executing on anyone whose adjustment is to offer him a little bit more time by moving backwards. All of those things are what Tsitsipas will have to try to do. You know, again, 
El- everything Alcaraz does, excuse me, exploits the vulnerability of Stefano Tsitsipas, which is that backhand wing in this match. We saw it in their final earlier this year in Barcelona. When Alcaraz is clicking, it's just really hard for Stefano Tsitsipas to hit Alcaraz off of his spot. That said, the flip side of this, yes, I understand Tsitsipas 0-4 against Carlos Alcaraz. He saw Alcaraz already this season. He knows the barrage of heavy topspin into that backhand corner. He has to be expecting. He understands how well he's going to have to serve to get through the finish line in this match. And to Stefano Tsitsipas' credit, as good as he's been throughout the, uh, the course of his career on serve, I think he's serving the best he's ever served throughout the course of his career here this season. The numbers reflect as much what we're seeing with our eyes. He's holding 88.5% of the time. That's a top five number, making 63.6% of his first serves. That's a percent and a half above his career average. He's winning 77.5% of his first serve points. That's a career high as well. It's not just the serve itself. It's the plus one forehand. I think Stefano Tsitsipas' plus one forehand is the single most reliable plus one combination we have right now on the ATP Tour. He executes it flawlessly, and the weight of that shot overwhelmed Sebastian Ofner. It overwhelmed Diego Schwartzman. It overwhelmed Roberto Carbeas Baena. It ultimately overwhelmed Yuri Vesely in four sets in round number one as well. Of course, those four are Tsitsipas' four victories to get to this point of the event. Tsitsipas 29-8. and eight overall uh, here this season. And, you know, again, you look who the losses are to. Djokovic, Medvedev, Elkaraz, Sinner, Hachinov, Fritz. Yes, losses to Struve and Thompson, but no shame in those other six. And a lot of them three-set battles or five-and-five battles where he's playing everything close. I mean, look, Stefano Tsitsipas, the case for him is his serve, his forehand. They just keep him competitive. In every match that he plays, even in the Barcelona final, he lost this year 3-4 and four to Alcaraz. He won 70% of his first serve points. Now, he only made 57% of his first serves, and that number has to be higher against Carlos Alcaraz. I know astute analysis, Alex. Tsitsipas has to make first serves and first forehands. Well, yeah, case in point, that's his pathway to victory, is he just lays it all out on the table and says, this is the best of me. My serve, my forehand are executed well enough that I'm just, yeah, Alcaraz is constantly on the run in his service games. And yeah, Tsitsipas is probably going to have to win at least one breaker in this match, maybe even multiple breakers if he hopes to get through. Because again, the way Alcaraz is able to exploit Tsitsipas' backhand return in particular, you feel like Alcaraz is going to put a lot of holds on the board as well. That said, again, how well Tsitsipas moves to his forehand corner, the weight of shot on his forehand cross court when he hits that ball on the run is remarkable. And for either guy who tries to you know, cheat over, uh, both guys are so good at punishing players who try to cheat over by keeping them honest with their down the lines. The problem is Tsitsipas' down the line backhand can be a little bit shaky. I think if you're Tsitsipas, you gotta you gotta go at the monster. You just gotta outplay him forehand to forehand. You gotta out plus one him. You just have to match Alcaraz strike for strike. Which look, we've seen Tsitsipas do. He's made a slam final here at Roland Garros. He's beaten a Federer. He's beaten a Nadal at a major. He's capable of doing it. I just think structurally, it is a horrifying matchup for Stefano Tsitsipas. And look, odds odds makers agree with me. You look at the French Open odds, according to our dear friends at DraftKings, 
Alcaraz, a minus 450 favorite over Tsitsipas. Let's be clear. This is the number one versus five seeds. Alcaraz is a minus 450 favorite, the second most lopsided favorite only to Djokovic. You look for Carlos Alcaraz, 61.8% favorite according to the tennis abstract uh, singles forecast based on the ELO ratings and past results. Alcaraz is clearly the favorite. He's 4-0 in the career head-to-head. I think Tsitsipas is serving well enough. I think he will play loosely enough because this is something he hasn't gotten to be in a long time. Let's keep in mind, Stefano Tsitsipas now, what, 24? He turns 25 in August this year. He's not the, you know, he doesn't get to chase the top dogs the way he once used to. He's the established top dogs everyone's taking their best swing at. In this Alcaraz match, he is the underdog. He gets to play loose. He gets to swing freely. He's always been good in that role. I think Alcaraz gets through. I have too much respect for the Tsitsipas serve and forehand. So I'm going to say Alcaraz gets through in four sets because, again, structurally, just the issues for Tsitsipas to overcome are too immense. But I do think Alcaraz gets through in four sets. I do think it will be a better match than, again, matchup-wise, perhaps it should be. And I think that's a credit to Stefano Tsitsipas, who I am not always the highest on. I am well aware of that fact. I like him as an underdog. I always like him more as an underdog than a favorite. I think that match is sneaky fun. I think Tsitsipas gets through. Uh, excuse me, Alcaraz gets through in four sets. Let's move on. We'll just keep rocking and rolling. Djokovic, Hachinov, matchup number 10. Djokovic is the player... Hatchinov has faced more now than any other opponent in his career with his 10 matchups. Let's be clear, Djokovic has won the last seven. Uh, the last time Karen Hatchinov got a set in those last seven matchups, April 2022 on the clay in Belgrade. That said, that set in Belgrade is the only set Karen Hatchinov has gotten over Novak Djokovic in their last seven matchups. Now, of course, Hatchinov most famously beat Djokovic en route to his only at, uh, Masters title and the last title he won on the ATP Tour in Paris back in 2018. It's been all Novak Djokovic ever since. And look, just to quickly do the Djokovic side of things, Djokovic now 24-4 and overall here in 2023. He's yet to drop a set at this French Open. Destroyed my birthday brother Juan Pablo Varias 3-2-2 two and, two and was hitting his forehand cross court with that same sort of vitriol that I saw in 2021 on his way to beating Rafa and on his way to the title. Because, look, much like in that Rafa match, he knows how important it is when Alcaraz goes inside in, when you're hitting that full on-the-run forehand on the sprint. If you want to take the open space cross-court, you better play with perfect depth and great action on that ball because otherwise you're leaving an easy down-the-line ball for a player like an Al- Not an easy one, but a play uh, a ball the player cap- the quality and caliber of Rafa and Alcaraz are able to capitalize on. Yes, Djokovic was running away with that Juan Pablo Varias match, but he was hitting his forehand cross court with the focus, intensity, and precision like he'll have to hit if he faces a Carlos Alcaraz in the semifinals. And maybe like he'll have to hit against Hatchinov in these quarterfinals as well. I think Djokovic is moving well, sliding into the ball as opposed to sliding out of his shots. Again, I do think he's one of the few players, I mean, all these players remaining, I suppose, have had success doing it, but he is hitting the ball through the court 
despite how difficult that seems to have been. He's serving well. I know he hasn't dropped the set, but he was pushed physically in his first two sets against Davidovich Fokina. I thought his level improved as that match progressed. And then I thought he played his best match against Juan Pablo Varias. And it does feel like he's yet to peak in a match. Uh, you know, again, he played perfect tennis against Juan Pablo Varias. Juan Pablo Varias was never going to hurt him. I want to see him peak against a guy the caliber of Karen Hatchnov before I name him the prohibitive favorite. I picked Djokovic to win the French Open prior to the start. But before I name him the prohibitive favorite over Alcaraz, because I do think Alcaraz has played better tennis against better quality opponents, I want to see this Hatchnov match because, look, while the track record against Djokovic hasn't been particularly impressive, the track record of late for Karen Hatchnov has been remarkable. I mean, Hatchnov, again, 33 and 15 since the start of the US Open last year. The only guy to make uh what was the only guy to make the quarterfinals or further, excuse me, at the last three majors. He's made the fourth round or further at the French Open in six of the last seven French Opens played. He just about always holds sleed at every major that he plays. And you look for Hatchnov now, currently ninth in the points race. He's back up to number ten in the live rankings as well. Hasn't been there in many a many seasons. Hatchinov's one of, what, currently eight players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. That list, Djokovic is top 10 in both. The only guy you can say that about top 15 club, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Runa, makes sense with what we've seen. Guys who rank top 20, Struff, Sinner, Rublev, and Hatchinov. And that's the echelon of player and the, the conversation Hatchinov's belonged with for the last six months. I mean, you win 70% of the matches you play over a six-month span, and three of those uh, tournaments that you play during those six months are majors, and you're making the quarterfinals or further at all three. That's the profile of a top 10 player. Karen Hatchinov belongs in the top 10 of the rankings. Now, he's 2-8 and eight against the top 10. Since the start of the U.S. Open last year, he's 5-8 and eight against top 20 opponents overall as well. And you do see his hold percentage dips from a top 15 number, 84.5% to 79% when that caliber of uh, quality of opponent excuse me, improves. You also see the bigger dip break percentage, which has been his big improvement these last six months. 23.3% top 20 number overall over the past 52 weeks and past year. That number dips to 15%. 0.2%, which would be a bottom 10 number against opponents ranked inside the top 20. And when you do have an elite serve to play with pace through that Hatchnoff forehand, he will still offer you some errors, but it's fewer errors than it is than it was before. And of course, three out of five sets, you just have never que- have any questions physically about Karen Hatchinov, who, again, he's in for the fight. For a guy his size to move as well as he does, to be as fit as he is, the fact that that serve, that plus one forehand when he has time, you know, he is able to generate free points for himself. The fact that that backhand is so condensed and he's able to absorb redirect pace pretty well with it, except when stretched by elite pace into his corner. Karen Hatchinoff is really, really good. And for a long time, it's been Karen Hatchinoff is really good on paper. Well, for the last six months, Karen Hatchinoff has been really good, just period. Now, the problem with this matchup is Hatchinov is good. Djokovic is better at everything. It's that simple. Djokovic hits his spots better on the first serve. Djokovic is more has more precision and hits his spots better with the first beforehand, with the first backhand. Hatchinov is fit and moves well for a guy his size. Djokovic is the best mover we've seen in ATP Tour history. 
you know, Hatchinov is a good mover for his size, but when stretched to the corner and then by an elite shot, that's when he gets a little robotic. Djokovic stretches you to corners in an elite fashion. Djokovic has won the last seven matches. He's won f- 15 of the last 16 sets they've played because I believe one of those matches came out of major. So Djokovic won three, not just two sets. Yelene Djokovic, and I do think Hatchoff is playing well enough to respect. Like, I think he'll get to a 7-6. I think it could even be a, like a 6-4-5 and five scenario where the match is really close throughout because the dips from Hatchoff that we saw plague him from 2019 to 2022 or till the U.S. Open, they've just been fewer and further between over the course of the past six months. And so I respect the level of Hatchoff. I lean to the level, of course— of Novak Djokovic. Give me Novak Djokovic to advance. I'll take him in straight sets as well. And yes, I know that's a boring prediction, but give me the blockbuster, what I will call the match of the decade to try and sell it to you all, which I don't even think I need to do because if it's Djokovic versus Alcaraz in the French Open semifinals, absolutely all of us will get hyped for that. With that said, we keep on rolling. And let's go now to the bottom half of the draw. Let's get to, again, a low-key top five rivalry on the ATP Tour in Holger Runa versus Kasper Ruud. Now, obviously, there were some theatrics off-court last year. Runa saying Ruud was, you know, disrespectful in the locker room and cheering at, you know, again, and didn't love the body language. And obviously, these, you know, Ruud responded in kind in the press. And uh, look, I mean, I said it earlier. Holger Runa has faced Kasparud more than he has faced any other opponent thus far through his ATP career. And you look for Runa prior to Rome, which was what, at the start of May a month ago? Prior to Rome, Runa had never beaten Rude. 0-4 in the career head-to-head prior to that. Now, obviously, Holger Runa did just get a 6-7-6-4-6-2 win in Rome, but... Roland Garros are different conditions, and certainly you look for Holger Runa, who just earned a 7-6-3-6-6-4-1-6-7-6 win over Francisco Sarundolo. He struggled physically in that match. He threw away that fourth set with just a wave of unforced errors and a barrage of, of charges forward to the net that were never going to end well. You do wonder physically, again, Casper Ruda, I was joking with Gil Gross that if this French Open had a business card, it would say French Open, fitness and forehands. Like that's what the the tagline would be. Casper Ruda's got the fitness. Casper Ruda's got the forehand. Both of these guys have the track record. This is your biggest toss-up. The odds makers say as much. And by the way, just to conclude the thought on that Djokovic pick, Djokovic minus 1,100 over Hatchinov. So you'd have to bet $11 to win one in return. Hatchinov plus 700. Every $1 you bet, you get seven in return. For Tsitsipas, he's plus 350. So every $1 bet, you get three and a half in return. Alcaraz, you got about four and a half dollars to win one. This one, Runa, Rude, your closest toss-up. Essentially even odds. Rude, minus 130. Runa, plus 110. Yeah, again, 4-1, and one, they're thrown out the window, given Runa won the last matchup, given the fact that, yes, it's 4-1 to one in the career head-to-head, but one of them was the four-set match they played at Roland Garros last year. And, you know, off of that, again, given how young Holger Runa was, given what he's done over the past 15 months, the respect for Holger Runa continues to rise. I do think he should be a slight underdog going into tomorrow's match based on, again, what we saw physically from him today, based on the fact that 
uh, on how well Casper's looked, which I'll get to in a moment. But look, for Holgaruna, 37 and 14 on clay since the start of last year, 80 and 37 overall since the start of last year, 30 and 10 now here in 2023. All of those stats are impressive. Here's what impresses me most. Since the start of last season, on clay courts, Holgaruna, 7-5 versus top 20 competition. Not only did he beat Kasparud last week, he beat Novak Djokovic uh, last week, excuse me, in Rome. He beat Novak Djokovic in Rome. He beat Sinner and Medvedev earlier this year in Monte Carlo. He beat Tsitsipas last year at Roland Garros. He beat Zverev last year pre-injury in Munich. Holgaruna has beaten all of the big dogs on these in these big matches on clay before and to all the disagreeable qualities, we'll say, of Holgaruna, no one can doubt the man's tenacity. No one can doubt the fact that when he steps onto the court, he always believes he's the best player on that court. And that innate belief is why so many are so intrigued by what the young Dane is going to accomplish moving forward in his career. Look, a second consecutive French Open quarterfinal, you know, prior to turning 21 years old, ridiculous, ridiculously impressive for Runa. I mentioned it earlier with his success this year, 30 and 10 overall on the season, top five in individual wins. He's one of four guys who's top 15 in both hold and break percentage. And God, I think Elkaraz's forehand on the ad side is the single most effective weapon, but I do think the totality of ways Holgaruna could hurt you on clay, it might be a more complete package of skills than what Alcaraz currently presents. The way he can go forehand inside out, forehand inside in, forehand on the slide down the line, backhand on the rise down the line, drop shot, serve and volley. He's as good of a mover as I have ever seen at this age on the clay courts. He just makes sliding into shots look so natural, changing direction so uh, natural. I think clay court tennis can get ugly, particularly if you're not comfortable moving on the surface. Holger Runa is better at playing pretty and high-quality tennis on this surface than anyone not named Rafa and maybe even Alcaraz in the men's game. Djokovic is Djokovic, so it's a different count. Djokovic belongs on that list as well, but it's just so natural from Holgaruna. And I do think he has the adjustment available to him because on the Casper Rude side of things, and I'll get to his numbers in a moment, but what does Rude want to do? He wants to be hitting forehands, particularly from that ad side of the court where he goes inside out, inside out, moves you further and further off the court before unleashing the inside in, moving in behind it, or unleashing a backhand down the line, moving in behind it, unleashing a slice that you leave short so that he can hit an aggressive forehand back down the line. Holgaruna has a backhand capable of taking that away. And I think a Holgaruna victory, A, involves him being fit, being fully recovered, involves him – he's – to try and make his forehand more aggressive, he's been active in running around his backhand on that ad side to try and hit forehands from that wing. I don't think that's the play. I don't think the play is to give Root time. I think the play is to take that ball as a backhand on the rise, whether it be cross court or down the line, and just dictate with that backhand wing which Holgaruna unequivocally has the ability to do. He's got to beat Rude backhand to backhand. He's got to play his forehand down the line well, and I think Holgaruna's inside-out forehand is his best forehand or his down-the-line forehand defensively to just neutralize things. I think he'll have some time to do so. 
Here's the problem. Again, his legs almost gave out on him in that match against Sarundalo. And just the physicality of tracking down every Kasparud inside out or cross-court forehand, how heavy that ball is, the weight of that shot, it just pushes you back on these clay courts. And Kasparud's been machine-like. You look at his wins over Emer, Zepieri, Zheng Zhijian, and Nicolas Yari. Yeah, he's dropped a couple of sets, I thought he played his best tennis against Yari down a break in the second and then, you know, again, tight throughout the course of the match. But, you know, it's those big servers, those big hitters, as Gil Gross pointed out, in guys like Yari and Sarundalo who were giving Rude some troubles earlier this season because they were taking time away from him. Well, A, on this French Open surface, it's just a lot harder to take time away, but... Man, he's just executing so fluidly, so confidently, and he's moving so well. And, you know, again, he will put some pressure physically on Holger Runa from the start in this match. And you just wonder. I just think the first set is so critical for Holger Runa because if he's able to be aggressive with some scoreboard pressure on Casper and able to swing a little bit more freely as opposed to trying to chase and feeling the angst of having to do so down, say, a set and a break and dealing with the weight of those Casper Rude going into the backhand corner time after time after time. I think that's where Rude starts to, uh, Runa starts to break down and Rude starts to thrive. I think if you're Holger Runa, that first set is critical because then you can get into the drop shots. Then you can be a little bit more adventurous with a lead and you know things start to click there. Then you start to get Casper Rude frustrated. Who knows where things go for Rude from there, who again has gotten better down the home stretch of this season. You look for Casper Rude now here in 2023. Uh, I believe he's now 20-11 and 11 overall, but... Yeah, it's been a fight back to that 20-11 and 11 number. You know, he played Geneva after making the Rome semifinals because he was still looking for a little more match play and a little more confidence after early exits in Madrid, in Monte Carlo, in Barcelona earlier this year. Now, again, Rude's 68-17 since the start of 2021 on clay. He's the reigning French Open finalist. He is the slight favorite, not just by the odds makers at DraftKings, but you look at the, the tennis abstract singles forecast – Interesting. Singles forecast doesn't take into take into account the fact of what Holgaruna looked like physically at the end of this match today against Sarandolo, but Tennis Abstract has Runa as a 59.4% favorite. So the recent results in the round of form would say that Holgaruna should be favored. That said, Kasparud, despite the early season struggles, he's now one of 12 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Runa, I mentioned, one of four to rank top 15 in both categories. The point is, Rude started to play better. Mm. Again, if Runa wins the—I think Runa needs to win the first set to win this match. I'm going to take Kasparud and— I took Holgaruna on Gil's pod because Gil took Kasper— and I took Runa before the tournament, so I wanted to stay consistent. Do I want to bet against the Young Dane? It's the battle for Scandinavia, as Gil and many others have put it. <sighs> Do I stick with my pick? I I think Rude—I'm not going to lie to you all. I think Rude wins the match. I think he wins it in three or four sets, so I'm going to go Casper Rude uh, to advance. And look— the winner of that one faces the winner of Echeverry and Zverev, and I'll get to the Zverev side of things in a second just to quickly start on the Echeverry side of the equation because I do feel like this is the side of the equation that's going to get overlooked by too many. I think Tomas Echeverry, Martin Echeverry is just freaking 
good. Like I don't know how else to describe it. You look for Echeverry now, uh, 51 and 32 in his last 52 weeks overall here in 2023. Now 26 and 14. But I mean, finals in Houston. Finals of the Bordeaux Challenger, but beats Albert Ramos, Vinolez, Jan Leonard Struve, and Ilya Vashka there. So again, not your father's Bordeaux, you know, not your father's Bordeaux Challenger. That was a loaded field. Played a really fun match, a really fun first set against Djokovic in Rome. I, I think it, of his career, he's made 24 career finals. 23 of them have come on clay courts. You look for Echeverry in his career on the clay. The majority of his matches at the ATP and challenger level have come there. You look for him overall. 17-8 and eight this year at the ATP level on clay courts. Finals Santiago. Finals in Houston. Now quarterfinals here at Roland Garros. You look for him in his career at the challenger level. 110-50. and 50, So he's won over two-thirds of his matches on clay courts. He's made the finals uh, on clay at the challenger level 10 different times, three different titles on this surface. He's clearly one of the 50 best clay court players in the world. And watching him play, I think he might be even better than that. I, again, how well – I mean, he blitzed. First set was really high quality, 7-6 between he and Nishioka. Nishioka fell apart physically after that, and that's the pressure Echeverry puts on you. Whether it's the weight of his forehand, how well he hits that ball on the run cross court, how well he hits that ball when set on the outside, inside out, inside out, inside in as a pattern, how well he drives his backhand down the line when he catches you sneaking over and just wants to beat you to a spot. I know he hasn't had a ton of hard court success yet, but again, when I watch the Echeverry forehand backswing, which is a little bigger, you know, it's bigger, like Casper Ruiz, and he doesn't hit quite as topspin heavy of a ball, but he does hit a heavy forehand. It's a little flatter, but certainly explosive. I also think Echeverry drives through his backhand a little bit better than Ruud. Obviously, the action and the heaviness, the consistency of the Ruud serve, I think, a little bit, not a little bit, it is just better than Echeverry's, but I think there are a lot of similarities there. And again, Echeverry's not going to hand a match away for free. If you get tentative and you start to hang ground strokes from the baseline, Echeverry's going to run around those balls. He's going to have you spread around the court by moving his forehand around, which he does so well. He's confident moving forward to knock off volleys as well. Now, he's never been at this level before. He's never been in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. But if a tentative Alex Virev shows up, Tomas Martin Echeverry is playing well enough to capitalize on that. And that's why maybe this match is the most intriguing to me. It's because of the range of outcomes you know you can get from Alex Zverev, who has just thrived in these slow conditions in Paris. It's obviously a guy coming back from an ankle injury. He'll take every extra second he can get, but he's moving well. He's changing direction. He's sliding into shots. He's extending rallies. He's tracking down extra balls. Perhaps most importantly, when he's stretched to the corner, he's now getting there early enough to where he doesn't have to slice the backhand or slice the forehand. He can hit through those balls now. He's been driving through his forehand and backhand with his feet set well for three months. He's continuing to do that well. I think he continues to incrementally improve as a volleyer. He's serving not as well as he did last year, but well with that first serve. And again, that ability to win free points or create easy plus one chances for himself behind that first serve. Uh, of course, in these slow conditions, that's an equalizer and or just a, not an equalizer. Yeah, an equalizer in a match that he possesses that plenty of others do not 
I mean, the first set against Dimitrov was breathtaking because the forehand down the line was landing, and that just opened up everything else Virov wants to do. Backhand down the line, sneak forward, forehand cross combination. That said, for him to go down 4-1 in that second set, the double faults crept in, the forehand errors when pressured by pace crept in, the tentativeness and pushing nature of Zverev's game that he can sometimes rely on because he is that physical, uh, that snuck in as well. And Echeverry is just going to capitalize on those opportunities better than a Grigor Dimitrov certainly did today. And look, again, it comes down to what Alex Zverev shows up tomorrow or in the quarters, because if he can get through that quarterfinal match, now he gets to chase. Now Zverev would be the underdog based on recent form against a Kasper Ruud or a Holgaruna. He would obviously be an underdog against an Alcaraz or a Djokovic in the final. And that's obviously the most opportune circumstances for Zverev is he does get to chase and not be the front runner. This is the last match of this tournament where he has to deal with front runner pressure. And look, he's in the vomit zone from a DraftKings odds perspective. Minus 275 to Echeverry's plus 225. They're saying we dare you to throw Zverev in a parlay and bank, you know, a him. What they're daring you to do right now with these odds is to do a Djokovic, Alcaraz, Zverev parlay at minus 123. The problem is Zverev's the guy who messes that one up because, again, if he comes out tentative, Echeverry's just playing too well and is too comfortable on this surface and he will find a way to hurt you. Uh, or he would find a way, he's going to find a way to hurt Zverev in that case. First career matchup between the two, for what it's worth, Tennis Abstract has Zverev as a 71.4% favorite, which again, that Alcaraz is only a 61.8% favorite, but DraftKings has him as a much more significant favorite than Zverev. I would imagine that the underdog chasers are going to put money on Echeverry or the Echeverry game spread. If Zverev comes out tentative, you know, again, I told Gil I was ready to come out with a spicy Echeverian four take. Now, Zverev closed out that match in straights against Dimitrov well enough that I just, I'm going to pick him and I'm going to pick Zverev in four. But this match is the one of the three, uh, of the four quarterfinals. This is the one I'm least certain of what the outcome is going to look like, of what the course of the match is going to look like. And maybe that's a testament to Zverev, who is Zverev-ing it up now and is making matches icky and is grinding his way through and generating uncomfortable errors from opponents, as he does when he's at his best. I don't know. I'm just not sure what this match is going to look like. I think I know what Alcaraz Tsitsipas is going to look like, how they're going to attack each other. I think I know how Djokovic is going to attack Hatchinov and what how well Hatchinov has to serve and hit his forehand to get through that match. I think I know the backyard brawl. That'll be Runa versus Casper Ruud, what the patterns are going to look like, what the Runa adjustment's going to be. I don't know how this Zverev Echeverry match is going to play out. And I think that's why it's sneakily maybe the one I'm most forward, not looking most forward to watching, but most intrigued by as we head into the round. That said, again, my picks, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Ruud, Zverev, not particularly spicy. I'm picking the four DraftKings or odds-on favorites. I apologize for that fact. But that's how I look at these quarterfinals. And again, when they wrap up, we'll have coverage of them here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, we also will have an extensive preview for all of you later today about everything happening in the women's singles draw. My dear friend David Gertler going to join me for that preview. So be on the lookout for that to drop on your mini break podcast feed later today. Of course, a shout out as always to our 
super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest prices. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all later for our women's singles quarterfinal preview. Thanks, everyone.